Earlier this year, the Castlevania Anniversary Collection was released. Eight classic games from four different systems were ported to modern platforms by M2, a company that is well regarded for their efforts in achieving quality emulation. So it was surprising to find that Castlevania 1 had a few obvious audio glitches upon launch. But this isn't the typical story about bad emulation letting us down, as M2 has already fixed it with a patch. This is, instead, a story about a small problem with the Castlevania 1 soundtrack, which has been hiding in plain sight all these years. Welcome to our first ever mini episode of Retro Game Audio. To switch things up from the long form podcast we usually do, we wanted to have a place to just talk about or share things of interest. So to get things started, we're going to jump right into an obscure audio glitch we discovered in Castlevania 1. So when the Castlevania Anniversary Collection was released in May, it had several high-pitched beeps in the Castlevania 1 soundtrack. There are two in the level clear jingle and two in the stage two theme, and they were consistent guaranteed to happen every time you reach those parts in the music. The community also noticed that the game was at risk of crashing during certain parts that are heavy with sprites, particularly the death boss fight. This is the problem associated with the earliest version of the game, which is also known as PRG0. This caused a lot of people to blame the use of PRG0 as the source of the emulation issues, but as it turns out, it wouldn't have mattered which version of the Castlevania 1 ROM they used. The problem turned out to be a few oddly placed triangle pitch zeros, which are indeed present in the original version of the soundtrack. It's an audio glitch that's always been there, it's just that their emulator handled this glitch incorrectly and made it even worse, uh, but it wasn't a completely new problem. We talked about Triangle Pitch Zero in our Capcom and SimCity episodes, but what's the quick recap here? So the highest pitch the Triangle Channel can make on the NES is called Pitch Zero. It's so high that it's in the inaudible range, meaning it should be a hypothetical way to handle rests. Because what difference does it make to the listener if you program an actual rest in your music where the Triangle Channel actually stops making sounds, or if it just plays a really high note that you can't hear? Yeah, so depending on the sound engine being created or the tools available to the developers, this could have been potentially an easier, or I guess a simple, like a simpler alternative to actually just kind of programming a stoppage or a rest, you know. Um, so early Capcom games use Triangle Pitch Zero all the time. But when you use this, of course, there's a catch. Yeah, there's always a catch. So Pitch Zero was actually a kind of sloppy and not so great way of handling these rests because of the resulting audio artifacts. Uh, crossing the boundary from the audible to the inaudible range resulted in a popping sound, and it creates some hiss as well. Uh, if you listen closely to the bass lines in Capcom soundtracks in an emulator that doesn't mask the popping, it's pretty obvious. Oh wow, yeah, that's uh, it's very clicky. <laughs> yeah, the, the, the clicking's real bad in that, yeah. And so, like, when we listen to the Castlevania 1 soundtrack, where we find the beeps in the release version of the Anniversary Collection, we find those same kinds of, like, clicks. Uh, here's an example sampled from hardware, um, and this is not emulation. So, 
so this is one of those funny situations where like I can't unsee it now. Um, even if it's not present in the version of the soundtrack you're listening to, my ears are like always directed towards it to see how it sounds or if it shows up at all. I think it's easy to see how it could be overlooked because it's almost like it's been retconned out of existence through emulation. Um, mm-hmm. I mean, if you look up the Castlevania 1 soundtrack on YouTube, you probably won't hear it. It sounds like mostly uploads are sampled from an NSF player that mutes Triangle Pitch Hero. It took a lot of digging to actually find, uh, you know, a version of this, like how it sounded on the original hardware. Yeah, so this was definitely a silly rabbit hole to go down. But um, like you said, like most of the popular uploads, including the ones from the expected places like G Bel Air, We Guys 8-Bit Stereo, uh, Gradius, uh, etc. None of them include the Pitch Zero art- artifacts. But it does start to pop up if you keep looking. Um, perhaps somewhat ironically, here's an upload that's labeled as a remaster of the soundtrack, and it does show up here. But it's like, I guess it's more fair to call the ones that remove the popping technically a remaster of the soundtrack. Yeah, and but again, to be fair, like it's an obscure bug that I don't think most people are even aware of. Yeah, you're right. Yeah, and I would guess that most people uploading it without the popping sounds aren't aware either. Like, they're not, it's not a conscious decision they're doing to fix the soundtrack, because I think most NSF players will just mute Triangle Pitch Zero by default. Yeah, I mean, that makes sense. And I mean, so what about the official Konami OSTs? I would imagine that they would have sampled directly from hardware. Yeah, that's exactly right. Uh, If you look up any of the official releases from Konami, it shows up there too. And while we're at it, I also just wanted to point out this one upload I found. Uh, Let's just give it a listen. (laughs) That that's amazing. I mean, I, you know, we were talking about what should what a remastered version would sound like, and I think that this went the extra mile uh, to really. really get that feeling of what it sounded like to listen to this um, recorded off of a small speaker uh, onto a a cassette tape that has a very small mic. Uh, I think that's kind of what it sounds like to me. And I think that's the version that I would accept as, uh, as definitive. It's funny to me because like, all right. So when I first heard it, I'm like, okay, it's a room recording, but maybe, maybe they're recording the real thing, but you actually can't hear the pitch zero stuff in there as well. So like, I think it's someone recording like off their phone or like you said, on a cassette recorder from like an existing YouTube video. Like, I think that's probably what that is. Yeah. It's interesting because if you look and listen to any of uh, this particular YouTube uh, posters, other videos, you can actually hear the mouse click uh, for or, or like a key click that indicates that they're playing the the, the song from somewhere. Uh, so yeah, that's that's probably that's probably right. Um, it's got to be it's, it's got to be the worst uh, video game music upload I've found. But um, it, to be to be fair, I mean, it could just be some kid who doesn't really know what they're doing yet. Like I did audio yeah. room recordings of Amiga Music as a kid, so. Yeah, and I mean, it was posted eight years ago, so that's kind of, I mean, 2011 YouTube, yeah, that's, that's a while ago. So still, at the same time, it's like, it's really, really funny. Like, why, why does this <laughs> exist? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Anyway, getting back on track here, you'd mentioned that they patched this out of the anniversary collection. Yep. 
So did they replace the beats with popping sounds or did they remove them altogether? They just got rid of them entirely. Um, I imagine that they put something in their emulator similar to the mute option that uh, NSF Play has. Which makes sense. Yeah. And so it's not necessarily the most accurate way to emulate the game, but I think if people hear popping when they don't expect it, like it could make the product look Mm -hmm. bad. Like if you didn't already know it was there, you would think it's bad emulation. So, you know, it's an Mm -hmm. understandable decision and I, I would respect them going out of their way with that. Um, but you know, it is interesting to me that it was originally overlooked because M2 is a very detail oriented company that actually cares about what they're doing. Uh, they're not ones to phone it in. So it just seems kind of like an odd fluke. I, I, am very surprised by it, you know, because of their other work. Mm -hmm. Um, there's also a great documentary about them on YouTube called M2 complete works, uh, from the, my life and gaming channel. Near the end of it, a planner for M2 by the name of Tsuyoshi Matsuoka talks a little bit about striving for accuracy with audio. Here is a direct quote. Sound is one of the biggest challenges. It's probably the thing we pour the most energy into getting right. For example, in Sonic the Hedgehog, you know there's that whirring sound the spinning goal makes at the end of the level? And the emulator we built, that sound didn't work. It took us nearly a month to figure out how to reproduce that sound in the emulator. We also spent a lot of time adjusting the sound parameters to reproduce the higher frequencies of the Mega Drive correctly. It's some pretty arcane stuff. So knowing the passion for what they do, you know, my first guess would be that it's probably not their fault as much as it was Konami's. Like in the same documentary, M2 singles out Castlevania when they talk about their love for Konami games. Like they say something along the lines of, oh, you know, especially Castlevania. So like of the companies involved, we have M2, who are known for going the distance and having a, a deep passion for gaming. And then there's Konami, who like seems sort of apathetic and yeah. about their legacy. Um, so I would guess from Konami's end of things, they probably just had a very strict timeline and just provided a shoestring budget. That sounds probably right, yeah. yeah. And as Matsuoka-san described some of the struggles with the audio involving arcane stuff, this is exactly that kind of situation. They just happened to get hit with something arcane from the NES, an obscure bug in the audio of Castlevania that probably no one has ever discussed before. And in that documentary, they talk about tailoring emulation to a specific game. They have a long history of emulating games on a variety of platforms, and they've stressed that a sort of one-size-fits-all kind of emulator just doesn't work. They don't just make one NES emulator or a Mega Drive emulator and drop a game into it and call it a day. Yeah, there's a lot of optimization and customization that happens. Yeah, and the so the anniversary collection features a total of four NES or Famicom games. There's Castlevania 1, 2, and 3, and also Kid Dracula, which was uh, you know officially translated into English for the first time. But Pitch Zero doesn't show up in anything besides Castlevania 1. And when it does show up... You know, I would argue that it's a random bug, not an intended technique like we discussed earlier. Yeah. And earlier we talked about using pitch zero as an alternate way to provide rests and baselines. Described it as sloppy because of the audio artifacts, but in Capcom's library, it was at least not an accident. It's something they simply chose to do. Um, but we don't think the same can be said for Castlevania. Yeah, so it's worth remembering that it only happens in those four very specific places in the entire soundtrack. In the level clear jingle, it falls on the 30-second note that precedes the E of beat 1 and the E of beat 3. So just like between the first two 16th mm-hmm. notes of those beats. But the bass line just does these simple constant 16th notes. So if you were to ask, like, what effect does that have musically... 
It means that the downbeats of beat 1 and beat 3 are just a little bit more staccato than the rest, due to getting interrupted by pitch 0. But it's a fast-moving bassline to begin with, and no one is going to notice or care that like two random notes in that run are a little bit different from the rest. Yeah, the reasonable takeaway is that the composers didn't intend this, you know, because it doesn't serve any purpose on a musical level. It just feels random. Yeah, and I think we can learn something from our recent SimCity discussion as well. That was a first-party Nintendo game, and that soundtrack had a bunch of pitch zeros in it. But it was an unfinished product, and other completed games by the same dev team never used pitch zeros. So we think that like during the development process, some devs might have used pitch zeros as like sort of placeholders before optimizing or cleaning up their code. And so what we find in Castlevania is stuff that was meant to be removed and was simply missed. So that's our sort of hypothesis. We should also mention that we haven't found Triangle Pitch Zero used intentionally in other Konami soundtracks, so we can add that to the evidence pile. Yeah, and thinking back to our discussion from our Konami episode, when you put all of Konami's NES and Famicom games into chronological order, our takeaway from that was that Castlevania was actually Konami's first good soundtrack for the platform. Um, they had a few decent themes from games before Castlevania, but like mostly you're starting out, starting off with games that are just very minimal and very bland sounding overall. And then Castlevania comes out and it's, you know, the first soundtrack to f- use four sound channels simultaneously for essentially the whole soundtrack. That's when they finally committed to having persistent percussion, persistent harmony from the pulse waves, et cetera, et cetera. So it just stands out from everything before it. So I think when viewed in that context, a small error making it into that particular soundtrack makes even more sense, I guess. They had a bigger workload this time around. And so M2, in the process of optimizing their emulator just for these four specific games, missed a small issue that only appears briefly in one of them. Um, But had they ran a Mega Man game through their unpatched emulator, it might have sounded something like this. Oh, man. Oh, by the way, I don't think we mentioned this in previous episodes, but were you aware that there were some NES soundtracks that did the opposite, where they played the lowest pitch the triangle channel could do instead of putting rests in? (laughs) I actually didn't know anything about that. Yeah, Zombie Nation. Uh, We'll save that for a future episode, but like, it's it's even worse than using pitch zero because you can hear it. Like, there's just an ugly, low-pitched note in between the other notes. <laughs> so, yeah, Nintendo has a lot of weird stuff going on with the Triangle Channel. It's a deeply flawed and deeply weird uh, sound channel. I love it. Yeah. Anyways, so I think that about covers it. Uh, when I first heard the strange beeping sound, I initially wondered what went wrong with emulation. But with some poking around, it took us down a different path of just finding a lesser-known flaw in the original soundtrack. And it's a weird, small detail to pick over, but I just sort of hope that it provides a deeper understanding of some of the weirdness that lurks behind uh, Nintendo music. We hope you found it interesting, and thank you for listening to Retro Game Audio.